Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series, breaking down our top 11 schools heading into this 2021 Division I men's ITA college tennis season. Of course, as part of our preview content, we have had the immense pleasure of the, getting the chance to speak with the head coaches of our top 11 schools thus far. That means a conversation with Georgia's Manny Diaz, a conversation with Michigan's Adam Steinberg, and of course, the podcast we recorded last week with Florida head coach. Coach Brian Shelton. If you have missed any of those conversations, you can find all of them here on this Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, you can also find Chris Halliwurst, Matt Stokowiak, and myself breaking down all of these teams in further depth, offering our predictions for where we think they end up, and of course, ju- trying to justify their spot in our Cracked Rackets preseason poll. Uh, you can find those conversations on our Great Shot podcast feed. Again, we've talked about Georgia, Michigan, and Florida so far. Uh, of course, you you can read even more about these schools on our website, crackrackets.com, as Matt Stokowiak are doing a write-up each week talking about the players each of these schools lost after the 2020 season, who they bring back, what the prospective schedule looks like, our takes for how they're, they're going to compete both in their conferences and nationally as well. So, of course, again, to find all of that content, either check out the Great Shot podcast feed or our website, crackrackets.com. But today, the series rolls on, and we get a conversation with the head coach of our number number eight school in our preseason rankings. And look, we say this all the time, but one could argue there has never been a better group of college tennis coaches than there is right now. I mean, the sheer amount of former top professional players, top college tennis players who are now back in the sport and trying to mentor the next class of college tennis stars. It's it's just such a pleasure for us as fans to get to see that. And certainly I think it is what has led to the amazing depth we now see in the college game. And of course, Today's conversation is with a coach who one could argue is maybe the best credentialed coach in all of college tennis, certainly as a former four-time NCAA team champion, as a member of what is arguably the greatest college tennis team of all time in the 1998 Stanford National Championship team. Uh, You could, again, this guest has seen it all in college tennis, of course. He's a former top 60 player in both singles and doubles as well, a three-time Kalamazoo champion. We're joined by Stanford head coach Paul Goldstein, who talks us... Uh, who joins us to talk about the Cardinal heading into 2021, what it's like to bring in the number one recruiting class in the country, how he feels his program, where they're, how he feels about where his program is at now that it's year seven for him at the helm of the team. And of course, you know, we ask about some specifics as well. You get back a guy like Axel Geller, you get back a guy like Alex Rostert. Obviously, when you throw in the number one recruiting class as well, it's clear this team has some talent to do some really special things. And so, of course, 
we wanted to ask Coach Goldstein about that talent, ask him how he's kept his team close, given, of course, we've all been living in a global pandemic these past nine months, and then had to ask him a little bit about his playing career as well. So I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy this conversation. Of course, the reason we were able to do this day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets, not only because of the outstanding support that we get from you listeners from our Patreon family, and truly we are eternally grateful that you all continue to listen, but of course because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and you know the deal by now, so I'll keep it brief. Any tennis equipment needs you have, just go to MidwestSports.com. You'll find the best deals, and more importantly, you'll find a staff that is both willing and able uh, to help you find everything you are looking for as well. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Uh, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping, and a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Of course, if you go to AeroBar.com, you'll be able to order up the only case of tennis-specific energy bars in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And of course, it comes with a podcast as well. So if you enjoyed our latest episode of Getting to the Point, where we had a fantastic guest on James Blake, uh, if that's the sort of content you enjoy, the way you can continue to support it, go support our friends at Aerobar. Go to aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15 to get 15% off your order and let them know that we sent you there. But what were you all sent here for today? To hear a conversation with Stanford head coach Paul Goldstein. So with that in mind, super producer Daniel West. Off. Let's roll it. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today, one of the most accomplished coaches in all of Division I men's college tennis. You may know him from his time as a four-time team champion while a player at Stanford University. You also may know him from his pro career where he reached top 50 in the world in doubles, top 60 in the world in singles, a three-time Kalamazoo singles champion, and of course the head coach for the current Stanford University men's tennis team. Coach Paul Goldstein, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me and thanks for those kind words to, to get us kicked off. Oh, it is absolutely a pleasure. It's not every day you get to talk to a member of those defining Stanford back-to-back-to-back-to-back teams. You know, you are, I believe, the first four-time team champion in NCAA tennis history, at least the first person to play on all four lineups. So then the obvious first question to ask you, Coach Goldstein, you, Samdev Devarman, and Steve Johnson walk onto a court. Who's emerging with the title? (laughs) Well, when Stevie... uh got four in a row uh you're right i think we uh, my teammates my classmates and i were the first to win four consecutive sort of when the since college tennis went to the uh the team uh dual match format in the ncaa finals when stevie got his four in a row he he backed that up with uh something like a 70 something match win streak in singles playing exclusively at the number one spot so uh in terms of that uh accomplishment i had to give him the nod 
<laughs> That's fair, but I appreciate you boxing out Sam dead That's there. not to I... say I'm conceding if we were to actually get back out on the court uh, uh, now or even then that he would have come out on top. In fact, and I hope Stevie's listening, we did play an EXO when I had retired and he was still on tour and I got him. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, that is what we love to hear, Coach. And obviously, uh, on today's show, we want to talk a little bit about your playing career as well as, uh, obviously, you now the head coach of your team. Everyone really exciting to see what your team and the number one recruiting class can do during this 2021 ITA season. But I think the place we have to start this interview, the place we start all of our coaching interviews, obviously, these past eight months are unlike anything any of us have experienced as tennis players, you know, even from a personal standpoint beyond the court, obviously. And so for you as a former pro player, as a former college tennis player, I'm curious, well, A, obviously, how are you and your family holding up? Hope you are all safe and healthy. But B, what has it been like for you to try and, you know, stay in contact with your team, communicate with your team, stay coordinated through all of this? Well, thanks for asking about my family. We're all holding up well, uh, which is, we, we feel really fortunate and uh, knocking on wood, hope that continues to stay that way. Uh, with respect to our team, I mean, first and foremost, I just I feel for I feel for our guys. I feel for everybody. I feel for everybody. I'm most in contact and communication with my guys frequently, and and I feel for everyone around the world. Every, nobody is immune from this. Nobody is not impacted by this. And, you know, to be quite clear, the guys on my team are extraordinarily fortunate, uh, and there are a lot more significant challenging problems in the world than that which is happening to to me, my family, and my team members. Uh, That said, all you can control is your own experience, and and our guys are having a challenging experience. I mean, anybody um, who's passionate about tennis, college tennis, and and they're in that environment to lose – yeah, eight months to lose their their season is is really heart wrenching uh, and challenging, and it's been very challenging to be in a leadership position uh, because I feel responsible for having answers to very reasonable questions that our team members might have, and the questions uh, that they have answers just don't exist yet, uh, and and they're asking them, and they're good questions, and they're fair, and I don't have necessarily all the answers. Um, and so I feel responsible for that and, and feel inadequate in that regard at, at times. Um, that said, I'm, I'm really proud of, of how our guys have – and when it first happened and we met in March when it was clear the season had been canceled, we talked about not letting the sort of a the, – the, 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 looking at the, the crisis as an opportunity and what can you do in this uh, circumstance to, to achieve, to get better. And so we tried to keep the focus on that. Uh, we never, none of us knew in March that we'd still be sitting here November 23rd or 4th, uh, November 24th, I guess, uh, still really dealing with it. And in many ways, sort of at its peak as we as we sit here right now, and with lots of uncertainty about the next couple of weeks. Um, but I think the other thing that comes to mind, at least for me, and, and I think a lot of our guys is is it's made us realize how passionate we are about the game and how much we miss it when we don't have the opportunity uh, to be around it on a day-to-day basis in the same competitive way that we've become accustomed. 
so I feel like when we do have the opportunity to come back, it's going to be with a vigor and a passion uh, unlike any we've ever seen, and, 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 and a gratitude unlike we've ever seen. So, Coach, one of the things we've asked all, all, all the coaches we've had on, and every team's been in a different situation, is kind of through this, uh, how, who have you had, you know, on campus in the fall versus guys that, for whatever reasons, uh, you know, just ha- either haven't been able to be there, chose not to, or or they were just playing pro or whatever. But how, how many of the guys have you actually had on, on campus this fall before we lead into the, you know, into the spring season that hopefully we're going to have? Well, the University of Stanford has not had any undergraduates on campus, living on campus in the fall quarter with the exception of some exceptional circumstances. Um, of our team members, we had one who sort of cat- or stood under the category of an exceptional circumstance, and so he was on campus. And then we had a handful who either lived in the area or moved to the area just for the quarter and with some very sort of uh, – deliberate and strict restrictions on uh, ability to access campus. Uh, we're able to train and access campus uh, for the duration of the quarter. And so we had five team members uh, here on campus training, actually six team members on campus training um, for the majority, uh, three of them for the whole quarter and, and three of them for the majority of the quarter. Ah, so I didn't realize that. So the, the, the school itself has had limited, I mean, very limited numbers of students on campus for, for, for Stanford then. Yeah, a very limited number of undergrad. There were several, there were more graduate students on campus, but from an undergrad standpoint, very limited. But we did have students living in the area or team members living in the area who were able to access campus uh, on a daily basis in order to train. And, Coach, with that in mind, one of the things we want to talk about as we look towards this 2021 season, you guys notably had the number one recruiting class in the country. And for you, curious what it's been like to try and get in sync with those freshmen, to try and get them acclimated to the program and, you know, at, at the same place where they're working the same way as a Geller or a Rostart is and getting ready for 2021. We're really excited about our, our freshman class uh, for uh, team members. Uh, two of them were on campus this quarter, and so we were able to work with them um, uh, often on a daily basis for the, you know, one for their whole quarter, one for uh, about four weeks, and so that was really exciting. Uh, two elected to sort of be in their home environments, and, you know, I was really pleased at the quality of work that they were able to get done um, from a tennis standpoint and play some tournaments, get some competition in. Uh, and were really good about their training. So I had no concerns about the quality of work that those guys were getting in, even though they weren't on campus, and had more opportunity to participate in a little bit of competition. So I feel very good about the the level of work that all four of those guys got done in the fall. And it's been challenging uh, for everybody, I'm sure, uh, and we're no different to establish uh, team culture uh, in a, an environment where people are so scattered. We've had a handful, obviously, of, of of Zoom meetings throughout the year, and, and some of those were really deliberate and intentional about trying to establish the type of team culture that we want to have as we get uh, back on campus and everybody together. And so I thought that was productive and a good introduction for our freshmen to try to understand uh, sort of how we how we tend to operate on a, on a normal basis. 
No, absolutely. And I, the question I think I have to ask as a follow-up coach, and again, we try to ask all of our coaches the hard-hitting questions here. So, you know, you're communicating with your team via Zoom for six months, and it's the same, you know, conferences over and over and over again. The question I have to ask, if you could mute any member of your team, just be like, you're done talking on the Zoom, who do you pick and why? Oh, you do ask the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm going to punt a little bit and say I bet my team members, if you asked them, would choose to mute me. I tend to be <laughs> um, what we've We've had some really uh, – some of these Zoom meetings, we don't do it too, fr- in, too frequently, and uh, I typically ask uh, – you know, we set up the call, and I typically ask the guys in advance uh, or, or send an email in advance and make sure that everyone is prepared – uh, to participate in a certain way. So, for example, uh, we had we had one Zoom meeting which uh, we sort of had a, uh, a scavenger hunt. So I asked like twenty, uh, I had, like these twenty riddle questions with the household item, and uh, would ask the questions, and they'd go off and try to find it and come back. And so we we're able to do some competition in that regard. Uh, I had one question where if you were a talk show host and had one ideal interview, who would it be, who would it be? So we try to get it pretty well engaged. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, for us here at Cracked Rackets, our ideal guest was you, Coach Goldstein. So we're filling our marks here. We're checking off all the boxes. We're uh, exactly where we, of course, want to be. But um, no, I mean, I... You flatter me. Yeah, well, I do what I can. Look, flattery is the, uh, you know, it's, that's what I got. That's the one, uh, that's the one bullet in my chamber. But, um, you know, moving, moving towards 2020 and 2021, you talk about bringing in those four freshmen. Obviously, they join a roster that, uh, qualified for the national indoors this year that managed to, uh, beat Ohio State 4-3 at the end of last season before things stopped. And so I'm curious for you now. I believe this is your seventh season as head coach of Stanford. I'm just curious. How you're feeling about the state of your program heading into 2021? As excited as I've been, I really, I really feel that way. We've had, um, it's been a, I feel really fortunate to be here seven years in, and I've loved it. And we've had some guys who have helped establish uh, sort of the type of culture that we want, uh, and have had some great success. And you know, we had a team a couple of years ago that got all the way up to number two in the rankings at one point. Um, one of the reasons I'm really excited is you're right. Like the last taste in our mouth was a win over Ohio State at home, a 4-3 win, in which the guys were playing great tennis and excited. And what got me more excited about that particular win was the next day was a travel day. We're supposed to meet as a team at two o'clock, and at eleven o'clock, unbeknownst to any team, excuse me, unbeknownst to any coach or um, strength coach. The team all got together before the the travel before we were getting together to travel at 11 a.m. and did a workout together, um, and we're just extremely motivated uh, at that point. We had a week uh, after that match before this, the season really got canceled, in which the, the quality of work that the guys were putting in and the level of motivation I felt was uh, across the whole team was as high as it's ever been, and so that's that's how it ended. I mean, obviously it was heartbreaking to have that abrupt end to the season but when it happened as a, as a team our culture hadn't has never been better and so we we're really excited about that and we have bring everyone back from that team and add a, a, a really quality 
uh, recruiting class. And one of the things we've established as a culture is pushing one another to get better. And I don't think we're, we've ever been in a better position where we have um, a group of young men who are, are, you know, eager to do exactly that, which is push one another to get better. Yeah, Coach, so you, you talk about the, uh, the the freshmen coming in uh, and you bring in, you know, a couple – uh, a couple guys r- really highly touted uh, in in Arthur, and you'll have to forgive me if I get it wrong. I'm going to say Ferry. Is it Fury? Ferry? Ferry. Ferry. Okay. So, yeah, Arthur Ferry comes in. I mean, you, you look these kids up. I even like looking, reading the bios on the, on the Stanford site. I, I see you guys are now into, into quoting uh, UTRs and whatnot. And, and he would, you know, he's like the, I mean, you look him up. He's like the 13th or 14th best college utr period hasn't even played a college match yet uh obviously really uh you know a really talented kid uh coming in you bring in tristan boyer you bring in chaudry uh i mean the 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 competition for lineup spots is going to have to be tremendous i mean we've talked to to some teams some teams go you know maybe seven deep you you guys are are so deep right now that i mean there's going to be huge competition for, for all of those spots, I would think. There is, and I I want guys, you're right, And but I want a program where that's the case, and I want guys who embrace that competition, embrace that level of competition, who want to bring in uh, other players of, of that caliber because that is going to push them to get better. And that's the type of culture and program that we want to be running. Uh, you're right, there's going to be competition for roster spots, and I think we're going to be really transparent about that. Uh, and I think everybody knows it, and we want guys who, who embrace that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think part of that, Coach, I'm curious, does that date back to your own playing days? You look at those rosters, 95 through 98 at Stanford. Obviously, you win four straight titles. Uh, in 98, you have the team with the Bryans. You have just all of this depth. I mean, the fact that, you know, you're, I believe, not playing one singles as a senior, or maybe you were, maybe you were switching off. That's a joke. Like, that's ridiculous. It's your fourth year on the job. That speaks to the depth you guys have. Is that what you're looking to create now at Stanford? You know, does that come from your own playing experience well i'll share a story about our 98 team um and and you're right we had four consecutive we won the national championship four consecutive years 98 with the was the fourth of those four years and that team was arguably our strongest um arguably the most dominant team in the history of college tennis uh the team ultimately went 28 and 0 uh, but over the course of those 28 matches only surrendered three points the entire season outscoring our opponents 173 to 3 over the course of the season um there were four guys who you know any one of those four could have argued that they had a right to be playing number one and we went to team indoors at the beginning of the year and had a lineup there I honestly don't remember exactly what that lineup was. I think I was playing two that, that week. But we were on the flight home from that, uh, and we won that event. Uh, I think won each match 4-0 uh, in that event, National Team Indoors. We were on the flight home, and the way I recall it is Coach Whitlinger um, looked at our schedule and had like a Southwest Airlines cocktail napkin out and looked through our schedule, looked at the number of matches, and picked, uh, saw those four guys and said, you know what, I think we can have a rotation system in here where each one of those four guys gets to play number one, number two, number three, and number four the same number of times. We can rotate them every match, and they'll get an equal number of opportunities each one of those four spots. 
who knows? Maybe we'll stick with it. I'm sure a couple matches in, someone will clearly establish themselves as, uh, in, in certain positions, and, and we won't stick to it. But by golly, we stuck to that rotation system the entire regular season. Everyone got the same number of chances at one that they did at two, that they did at three, that they did at four. And nobody complained about where they played. Every time someone got a chance to play one, it was their opportunity, and they felt like they had the chance to step up. Um, I played the same number of matches at four that year during the regular season as I did at one. And everyone had success, and nobody complained. And an example of how good that chemistry was is we go to play the Pac-10 conference tournament at the time that was an individual competition and i happened to to win that tournament being a guy being ryan walters my teammate who was one of those top four in the finals ryan had beaten bob bryan in the semis and um then we go to to so that was the end of the conference tournament and then we go to get ready for the ncaa tournament and coach gould came to me and said paul we got to pick a lineup we can't rotate anymore we're going to ncaa's we need one lineup that's going to last throughout the tournament Coach Whitlinger and I can talk about this. You go talk about it with the team members. Let's come back and compare notes. And the first person I went to talk to was Ryan Walters, who had just beaten Bob, and had, because that was such a close match, was sort of tuckered out a little bit and lost to me in the finals. And he said, well, Paul, you won Pac-10, so you, at the time it was Pac-10, so you should play number one. And I know I just beat Bob, and therefore I could argue that I should play number two, but man, if you were going to play at University of Georgia and they got three courts in a row and then there's a little break between courts three and four uh, and, and, and then it's courts four through six, man, if I play number two, that means Mike and Bob aren't playing right next to each other and those guys have been playing next to each other, you know, basically since the womb and we need their energy feeding off one another. They should play two and three. I should play number four. Let's go get this title. And that's an example of sort of being a selfless teammate and sacrificing yourself for the betterment of the team. Uh, went and told Mike and Bob about it. They agreed with that. Then the best double team in the history of the world said, you know what, we should probably play number two. You guys should play one. So I had to convince them that they probably should play number one. Uh, so they played one. They played next to each other, two and three in singles. I went back, told Coach Gould about it. He totally agreed, and we were off and running. Uh, and so, I mean, that was pretty magical. And but yeah, that's the type of environment that you that you hope to create. And my experience that year was Mike and Bob. And and by the way, I haven't even mentioned Alex Kim, who played mm -hmm. six for us this year and won NCAA's individuals two years later. Jeff Abrams, who played five and went 26 and 0 that year, and is currently running sports medicine for Stanford University um, or the Stanford Athletic Department. And we just beat the crap out of each other in practice every day uh, to the point where playing a match was, you know, almost not not as intense as the practice we were having every day. Uh, and so that was the that was a really magical environment and certainly something that we strive for. Mm -hmm. And I know, I again, I want to be conscious of your time, Coach Goldstein, but I'm reserving the right to bring you back on a later day, and we'll just do 30 minutes on the 98 Stanford team. Because the idea of having Alex Kim at six singles, again, Alex Kim, future NCAA singles champion, it's just like a joke. Like, in practice, where you're like, oh my god, like, Alex is ridiculous today. This guy could be playing one in any other world. Well, Alex and I are from the same hometown, worked with the same coach, and I think the summer uh, before his freshman year, I, I think we practiced together like every day for like 
90 straight days. So nothing he did surprised me. I saw what he was capable of doing um, from a, the time he was really young. And, you know, I just – we didn't get – we didn't think too much. I don't recall thinking too much about where we played in the lineup. And uh, you'd have to ask Alex, but I, I don't think he – was too bothered by the fact that he was playing number six and everyone was having success at where they were at. And I just I just don't remember a lot of turmoil or adversity that we faced during the course of that year just because everyone was so supportive of one another. It's easy when you win, right? <laughs> it's true. Winning takes care of a lot. There's no doubt about it. So that's what I'm I said. Gonna... Coach Gould said, you know, 38 years, every year was different, but – Paul, I don't think you understand. Like when I, I don't think you understand how special that that year was, and how mm-hmm. that's not common. And I was kind of naive. I was like, "What are you talking about? Every that every year should be like that." And it turns out <laughs> it's, it's not that. It's not every year is like that. Uh, but it was fun to be part of that experience. And there's lessons to be learned from that from that year. And and uh, and, and again, it's it's what you sort of strive for, even though it, it's really hard to to recreate. Yeah, I'm just going to warn you right now, Coach, that while while Gruskin's buttering you up a little, he is. I'm I'm with you, and I'll go 98 Stanford. He is absolutely going to debate you because a UV he's a UVA homer. He's going to debate some form of Devarman's team at some point in time, and you're going to have to be prepared for that debate. Let's go. Let's go. I'm not a guy who like, I don't like to get into the the goat debates. Uh, the one thing I'd stand by pretty strongly is uh, hard to argue with that was the statistically most dominant team of all time. 12 USC, and I know you, you probably know that team better than I do, but 2012 USC, when you have Yannick Hoffman at five singles, like I feel like he could compete with Jeff and like Heroes at six versus Alex Kim. At least now you're having fun, but... Yeah, that 98 Panther team can ball. We could again, we can save that debate for another time. But uh, to get back, you know, obviously to this year's 173 team. 173 and... to three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, wait till I tell you about the 1956 Michigan Wolverines and how good the ghost of Victor Amaya was in '56. Um, but no, uh, to yeah, to to lock in uh, back on this 2021 season because again, it does seem like now you guys have really hit your stride as a program, and you date back to it uh, when you guys made the national indoor finals. I can't believe that was only two years ago, but I guess it really was like two and a half years ago, and that was Axel's freshman season, and I believe that was Tim Saw's freshman season as well, and you still have those guys returning to the roster uh, to help lead this group. What does that mean to you? to have Axel, Tim, and even Alex at, you know, the top of your lineup leading the way? Well, we made semis of uh, national team indoors that year, not finals. Uh, but uh, Axel and Tim, you're right, are both uh, seniors. And one of the things I, I, I'd love to just share here is just how pleased I am in the maturity and growth that the, both of those young men have showed um, from a leadership standpoint. Uh, I think their tennis development for sure, uh, but you know, more meaningful to me is sort of the maturity that they've showed in in leading. And you know, I, this has been a really challenging eight months, and the time that we're getting together as a team right now is really on Zoom. And you know, some of the things that they've organized for the team and the the, the culture that they've helped create, the, the leadership roles that they've taken on those calls has been really meaningful to me. 
Uh, and so to have those guys come back leading our group is, is, is really important and, and meaningful. So, um, Coach, I'm hoping uh, now as we look forward to this ITA kickoff and the draft we're about to have, that A, I'm hopeful we're going to have the draft and we're going to have the event. Uh, and I don't know if, you know, if you can share or if everything's a go still for you, but where, with where you're at, I know, you know, we're out east and things are certainly a little more different out, out west in California, uh, Southern Cal, maybe even more so than where you are. But are you still on the, the plan right now where everything's a go? You're participating uh, in the draft uh, and, and ready for, for, an, for an indoors that we're hopefully going to have? Or, or how's the situation looking for you guys? Yeah, as we sit here today on November 24th, that's our intention to, to participate. And we're hopeful uh, that we get the opportunity to do so, both from a kickoff weekend standpoint and a team indoor standpoint. Uh, that said, it's it has been and I think continues to be a remarkably fluid situation. And we're planning for that as we sit here now at the same time. You know, just trying to focus on the things that we can control, and, and that's planning for it. Uh, but we're all sort of seeing the same numbers that the rest of the country, the rest of the world are, are seeing and experiencing, and uh, obviously have some concerns that we'll be able to do it. No, I mean, do you, do you think, and I, I haven't really heard much, do you think that that draft will be a wide open type thing or will we have some sort of regional or, or is that going to be on a case-by-case -case basis with the schools like you know maybe Stanford tells you hey coach you can participate but you can't go more than 400 miles and, and is that something you would think a lot of schools might hear from their administration before they go participate in the draft uh I'd hesitate to start any sentence with this is what I think just because I really <laughs> don't know but what I what I what I do know is that every host site is required to submit, along with their host site application, testing protocols for that site. I would expect that our medical team at Stanford would uh, assess the host site testing protocols and determine whether or not we'd be permitted to travel to that site based on those protocols. I got you. So, 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 so that's actually some good homework for them that they've got to get done ahead of time. At least there's only seven of those to look at. But yeah, that's a that's a good point. No, these are all things, again, we have to monitor heading into this season. And coach, again, when you look at the climate right now in college tennis, as someone who played four years of college tennis and then went on to play pro tennis, but also got their degree while in school, you understand, you know, as well as anyone, how valuable that college tennis degree can be. And so, you know, my question to you, when you see programs like Minnesota, who was obviously one of the best Big Ten programs throughout the 80s and 90s, when you see a school like Iowa, who's reaching career highs in their program, and just all of these programs across the country continue to struggle. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the current state of college tennis, and what do you think? And I know this is a big question here, uh, but what do you think college tennis teams can do, you know, locally to ensure that they aren't on the chopping block? Yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing that up and feel for. The programs like Minnesota and Iowa, as you mentioned, and it's extraordinarily disappointing to learn of those developments. What I can share is that I had this, I had a just a totally seminal experience playing college tennis, a meaningful experience to me. Um, feel very fortunate to have had that experience. Went and played professionally for 10 years, and 
benefit of my collegiate tennis experience at Stanford was that after 10 years of a uh, start to a professional career in which my only uh, experience was chasing a yellow ball around a court, 72-foot court, um, I, but based on that experience, I still had opportunities outside of the sport, and for seven years, I did do uh, work outside of the sport, and uh, the reason I came back to the sport is I believe with absolutely every fiber of my being and having had uh, experiences both in the sport and outside the sport, that the experience that I received in college tennis prepared me for a life um, both in and outside of tennis. And so the to think that there are less people in this world, young people in this world who will get access to that experience because we're losing some of those programs makes me really sad. Um, I I think you gain so much uh, from this experience. It's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's why I'm so passionate about what I'm doing. I just adore the opportunity uh, to support these young people as they're going through, through this transitional time in their lives and recognize how much you learn from that experience. And I feel humbled to have the opportunity to be a sort of a, a leadership figure in that time of their lives and know how important that time is to set them up for the rest of them, their lives, to prepare them for the rest of their lives. And I just want to do everything within our power to get that message out there uh, and to promote our programs. I mean, you said locally. What can we do to promote our programs locally? Uh, I think every – uh, sort of coach in addition to all the responsibilities that come with preparing your team to play, uh, sharing that message with your local community to, to, to get the level of support that uh, enables programs to continue to exist and thrive. All right, Coach. Hey, we, we, we appreciate your time, and I know Alex always likes to finish with some uh, firing line type questions, and I'm going to lead it off here with a completely non-tennis related question. So you, you mentioned there in the, in the last section your, your work outside of tennis. You left tennis. You spent six to seven years at Bloom Energy, right? So you're either a Tesla guy or you're a hydrogen fuel cell guy, and I'm not letting you be both. Which is it? Uh, I'm a fuel cell guy. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I'm a fuel cell guy for sure. And I think what's possible down the road with the hydrogen economy is, is pretty exciting. Uh, I think we're a couple years out still from having that sort of more commercial, but uh, I'd be pretty excited about those developments. Uh, should we do 30 minutes on hydrogen cars next time too? I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed. I, I like the direction this is heading for sure. Um, but all right, coach, again, as Chris mentioned, some fun ones for you down the home stretch here. Rapid fire more than a sense that I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. Take as long as you'd like with your answer. Uh, let's start here. I think this is a crucial one. Paul Goldstein, better at ping pong or tennis at this point of his life? First, my dad, my father was a national, a competitive and national table tennis champion. And yes, I said table tennis, not ping pong. <laughs> so I will. Uh, I, I, if, I'd say this: if you put me up against fellow tennis players, uh, I'd say I'm a better table tennis player relative to my tennis playing peers um, than most. <laughs> but if uh, but if I'm playing against true table tennis. Uh, elite players, I look like a fool. 
<laughs> so, 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 like, if, if you, you and Geller right, right now get on the table tennis court, court are you are you, you taking them down? Against, uh, certainly against my team members, but against most tennis players. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. All right, I've got I've got three names for you. Uh, we're gonna go John Roddick, John Michael Gamble, and Michael Jessup. Who was your biggest rival throughout your career? Because it's got to be one of those three, right? Yeah, I, I put John Roddick and I played against each other a bunch throughout uh, juniors. Jan Michael was a year below me, so while Jan Michael was interesting because um, he in the juniors. Uh, you know, I won Kalamazoo three straight years, so that was 21 straight um, matches in singles. And I think my win number one and win number 21 was against Jan Michael, uh, which is just kind of <laughs> interesting. Uh, but, so I got to better him in juniors, but then we went on to uh, playing tennis for a living uh, and for and for money, and Jan Michael got the better of me pretty much every time on tour and had a much more successful pro career, so... Uh, kudos to him for that and but john and i through the juniors played against each other a bunch uh and went back and forth i lost to in the back draw my first year of 16s and so he was my last loss at kalamazoo hey it, it's not a bad last loss i'll just throw that out there not there there are significant yeah definitely worse ones you could have uh without question but no i mean again uh you know so many different things we could talk about in your career you have seen you know uh the highs of pro tennis you've seen the highs of college tennis i'm just curious in terms of the level in the 90s versus now because we see so many players going directly from college to having success getting top 400 top 300 in college almost uh, in the pros almost right away how do you compare the talent of the 90s in college tennis to what we see now i think the depth is stronger than it's been i think the, the quality of depth is stronger than it than it's ever been I think that way both about college tennis as well as about the professional game. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I think technology has something to do with that. Sports science has something to do with that. I just think there are more quality players playing, you know, down in the lineup at mid-majors who can really compete at a high level that didn't quite exist um, back in the 90s when I was playing and even before that. And so the quality of depth, I think, is certainly stronger. At the highest levels of the game, I think, you know, I think it's, that's a little, uh, yeah, a little closer in that I think in the '90s and, and before that even, you had some players playing college tennis who were able to make that transition to have a lot of success on tour, uh, as well as what's happening today, if not more so. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the depth, especially this year when you have the bonus season for all of these seniors across the country, this college tennis season is certainly going to be exciting. All right, last two for you, both very fun, both very simple. Let's start with, uh, in my opinion, again, one of the more pressing questions I can ask you. Now, we all have seen Axel Geller play as college tennis fans over these past few years, and I think we all can agree he's as talented as any player in the country. But I would also argue that he has what I like to call crazy eyes, that if you make eye contact with Axel Geller, there's a chance you're going to fold under the pressure. Do you think that's fair, Coach? Uh, I don't know if I, I'd go crazy eyes in those words, but he brings <laughs> a level of passion and, and excitement and enthusiasm. And there's a great photo of, gosh, him uh, hitting a winner to clinch a match for us, and someone took this image of him where his wingspan was about seven foot eleven, uh, both arms. <laughs> out wide, uh, 
sort of a a warrior cry coming from his mouth, and and the eyes were bulging. So uh, I think it's not not too far off. Yeah, that's fair. Well, then the last question, the most important one, I'll ask. Are you the most famous Paul Goldstein on Stanford's campus? Because I know there's a professor. Yes, I know there's a professor. Professor Goldstein. named Paul Goldstein at Stanford, uh, who I'm sure is uh, far more intelligent and well-spoken than I could ever be. <laughs> we'll we'll have to agree to disagree on that. He didn't, you know, he didn't come on this podcast and talk about uh, hydrogen fueled cars. So you have that on him for sure, Coach. Uh, moving forward, and obviously, again, uh, we want to uh, wish you luck uh, and wish you and your team safety and health throughout the rest of this off season. We are obviously all looking forward to hopefully seeing a 2021 college tennis season, and we all expect your team to play a huge role in that season. So, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us this morning again hope you stay safe and healthy guys first uh thanks for having me on but really want to say thanks for everything that you guys are doing on on behalf of college tennis much appreciated of course we do what we can just imagine if we were there covering your 98 team there would have been way more friction (laughs) (laughs) yes but with that in mind yeah yeah take take care coach yeah It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with Stanford men's tennis head coach Paul Goldstein. I will tell all of you listeners, as soon as we were done, I called Chris immediately, and I was like, I feel like we still both have 10 to 15 questions we could ask coach, right? And, you know, Chris was like, oh, absolutely. And so this is my promise to you listeners. We will get Coach Goldstein back on the podcast either at some point this season or, you know, maybe next offseason later on where we can talk a little bit more about his pro career. Again, I could have done probably an hour on those 1990s Stanford team. Is that the best four-year run in college tennis history? Certainly pre-USC, it was probably the defining uh, run of the past 30 years. And so I would love to, you know, there's some Virginia teams I would love to throw in the mix there. Obviously, USC 2012, that team when Roberto Quiroz is playing six singles, you know you're doing something right. Uh, But obviously, a lot of incredible talent that uh, has come through the college tennis ranks, those 90s Stanford team, uh, certainly up there in terms of the most talented of all time. But again, we'll have to save those questions for another time. A huge thank you for uh, to Coach Goldstein for taking the time to chat. I can only imagine how busy he must be. And of course, you know, we're going to keep rocking and rolling. If you want to hear more about this Stanford uh, tennis team, again, go check out the Great Shot podcast. Chris, Matt, and I all did uh, where we give our extended thoughts, how we see them compared to the rest of the teams in college tennis in 2021. Of course, if you missed our conversations about Georgia, Michigan, 
Michigan, Florida. You can find those on the Great Shot podcast feed as well as on our website, CrackedRackets.com, uh, where all of our content heading into this offseason can be found. Of course, it's not just going to be college contenders. It's time to start thinking about this pro tennis offseason. It's crazy, right? Because we had a six months off season during the summer uh, due to a global pandemic. We are now back into offseason mode. But of course, that means a lot of really fun content coming down the pipeline from us here at Crack Rackets. Be on the lookout for all of it on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleetner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, of course, as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, Chris Helios, who I always have to give a shout out to for helping me with these interviews, for our wonderful guest, Stanford men's tennis head coach, Paul Goldstein, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and our friends at Midwest Sports.